Good morning, saints. So this morning, uh, we bring to a close our consideration of Paul's letter to the Colossians. In so doing, I will build, make a bridge as we transition into our first summer uh, sermon series on the one another's in the New Testament. Love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, and so forth. The New Testament is full of examples of how you and I are to relate together in the church. We do not just come and go on a Sunday morning. That was never the plan. But to roll up our sleeves and enter into the messiness of one another's lives. The progression in Paul's letter to the Colossians is powerful theology followed by practical application, followed by specifically how to work this out. He begins his letter with one of the clearest teaching on the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He exhorts us to not be taken captive by lesser or deceitful ideologies or philosophies. He tells us to rid ourselves of our old sinful habits and clothe ourselves, adorn ourselves with Christian virtues, kindness, compassion, and so forth towards one another. I loved hearing you open your Bibles to Colossians. I'm assuming that's where you were going. But at this point, I would actually like you to close your Bibles because we're going to close out this morning with a little pop quiz. Uh, don't worry. No one has to raise your hand. No one will be put on the spot. I just have a few questions that I hope will help us kind of internalize all of this. So you got to, you know, close your Bibles. Question number one. Which of these is not used to describe, to describe Christ in chapter 1? Remember, we spent a lot of time in chapter 1 because it spoke so beautifully to our Lord Jesus Christ. Which does not belong on this list, that is, was not mentioned in Colossians 1? That he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, head of the body, the church, the light of men, firstborn from the dead, or preeminent. They're all amazing and they're all true, but one of them just wasn't written to the Colossians. So you can mull it over just a little bit. And the correct answer is number four, the light of men. All right. Hey, listen, don't worry. If you didn't get it right, it's okay. It's, everybody gets a participation ribbon. We know. All right. So light of man, that is from John's gospel. That is John chapter one. John wrote another fantastic um, teaching on Christ as well, but from a little bit of a different angle. My favorite from this list I've mentioned before is number five. That Christ is the firstborn from the dead. He is the one who subjected himself to death on our behalf, never to be subjected again. And he's the firstborn, meaning he's the first of many. You and I, through our faith in Christ, are counted in that number. Question number true. 
question number two. Oh. True or false? Now, this gets a little more challenging because I'm actually quizzing you on, an, on a part that we haven't gone over yet. Tychicus was a thorn in Paul's side and disrupted unity within the church. True or false? Tabulated your answers. The answer is false. Despite the fact that I... So you never, never trust even when the guy makes a mistake. Number three. Number three. Aristarchus visited Paul in prison, brought Paul's garment for the winter, served in food distribution, D, none of the above. Give a little bit of thought. The answer is letter D, none of the above. None of the, don't worry, everybody, remember, you get a little ribbon as you go out. Number four. Epaphras is particularly known for serving the poor, being a heretic, being faithful in prayer, or D, causing disunity. Give some thought to that. The answer is letter C, being faithful in prayer. And that's actually where we're going to begin this morning. So you can open your Bibles back up, if you like, to Colossians chapter 4. I'm taking this approach because as you come to the end of New Testament letters, it's oftentimes tempting to just gloss over the end. There are these personal greetings. You don't know most of the people that are there, to be honest. We don't really know much about them other than what's written right there. And frankly, we have trouble pronouncing their names anyway. So it's easy to just kind of sleep on these, and I really don't want us to do that. Because there's so much, even in those sections of Scripture, that can help us and that drive a point. So the angle I'm taking this morning regarding all of these people that Paul is going to greet personally is how they demonstrated in unique ways the one another's of the New Testament. Remember, our basic thesis is that we are designed by God within the church to be in one another's lives, not to have distant relationships, but to have personal, safe life-giving relationships in that discipleship process. So, this morning our first emphasis uh, that we're going to look at is prayer. Paul concludes his letter to the Colossians with one final instruction. Application of all the theology we've looked at. This is where he ends. Prayer is not a sideshow. It is not something that some of us do. It's for all of us. 
and literally should be all the time. It is true that we often pray in solitude, our hearts towards God, but it is equally emphasized that we should be praying also together. I love seeing that take place in our smaller group ministries, but I also want us to do more in a more corporate sense, a larger gathering, to lift up praises and petitions together. I'll email out later this week two dates for corporate prayer to take place so we can gather together intentionally for the purpose of prayer this summer. So let's read uh, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to begin at the beginning of the chapter. Sorry, Colossians 4, verse 2. And here's what he has to say about prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am now in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Look carefully at what Paul emphasizes when he speaks about prayer. Number one, he says, be steadfast. Don't give up. Don't falter. Don't faint. Don't be distracted. Press on. Take it seriously. Be intentional. There's a spirit of watchfulness. He says, as you pray, Jesus, of course, said the same thing. As you pray, be alert, be sober, be aware of what's going on around you. Be aware and mindful of God's truth versus what you see in the world. And prayer is always to be given in a spirit of thanksgiving. Why is this important? Thanksgiving is the natural result when I am fully aware of the hope of the gospel. Come what may in this life, how could I not be thankful when I know my final destination? How can I not be thankful When I am mindful of the fact that God has bought me with the precious blood of Christ. How can I not be thankful when I know that I have been delivered from this present evil age. Loved unconditionally by God. Adopted into his family. And given a seat at his table. Thanksgiving is an intentional mindset. We choose to be thankful to the Lord. We choose to be thankful 
and present our requests before God in a spirit of thanksgiving. Looking at verse 4. Notice how personal Paul is. He is soliciting their prayers. If the Apostle Paul needs people's prayers, I submit so do you and so do you and I. He knows he needs God's help to present God's truth clearly. This was his life. Preach the gospel. Get beat up, thrown in prison, do it all over again in another city. How often do we preach the gospel? Paul is suffering in prison for the fact that he was preaching the gospel. So his prayer is that God would give more opportunities for him to open his mouth and preach the gospel And go back to jail in another city. When we have this spirit of prayer. We have a better sense of how to live our life in the context of the unbelievers around us. We learn to be wise. And faithful stewards of what God has given us. Do we not all need the reminder for our speech to be gracious and seasoned with salt? Salt is a preservative. So you want your speech speech to be life-giving and a preservative, not toxic or otherwise. So now let's read more specifics regarding prayer and Epaphras in specific. I've preached on these verses before. I want you to skip ahead now to verse 12. How did Epaphras flesh out the one another's to his fellow Colossians in the context of prayer? It's worth noting and seeing How Epaphras prays. Because Paul wants you to know this. He could have just said that Epaphras, he's praying for you. But he tells us how he is praying for us. Verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Let those details sink in deeply. How did Paul... Engage in prayer for his fellow Colossians. How did he flesh out the one another's? To begin with, he literally never stops praying for them. You want those people in your corner who in reality never stop praying for you. His prayers are not weak. 
He is wrestling and he is struggling in prayer for them. He is committed to pray. And he knows that the fruitfulness of the church depends upon the ministry of prayer. It's so important to see what he focuses on. Now, while there is a place for this, he is not praying for Aunt Helga's broken toenail. He is praying specifically for them, that they would stand mature in the faith, that they would grow in Christ, that they would know his word, that they would stand upon it. And as they stand on God's truth, his prayer is that they would be fully assured. Assured here and assured here. That they would know the will of God and that they would live it with conviction and with great joy. Whether in your prayer closet or praying with other believers... I submit to you that this is what we should be focusing on. It is what Paul focused in his prayer for the Colossians in the beginning of this letter. In fact, when you look at the apostolic prayers in the New Testament, you'll see these similar themes. That we would know the will of God, that we would stand in it, that we would not be swayed one way or another, but that we would live with full assurance before the Lord and before the world. This is not to take away from praying specifically for one another with prayer requests that come up. But in a general sense, when you pray for fellow believers... Pray for this. Now let's look at a few other people who live these one another's out in a very unique way. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus. The question in our little pop quiz was whether or not he was divisive and a discouragement to Paul. The truth is, nothing could be further from the truth. There are three ways that Paul describes him. Each of them denote a closeness in relationship that runs deep and you can rest assured that they were practicing and living the one another's amongst themselves. How does Paul describe him? Verse 7. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts with him. Anestimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. What does Paul say about him? He is a beloved brother in Christ. Remember, Paul used to hate all the Christians. 
But now he's a Christian. And there are some who have become so dear and so close to him. It's amazing how God changes our lives and transforms us. His description of him shows us clearly that they have walked deeply together in the Lord. Do you have such friends? Whether in a discipleship group or not, do you look around you at your brothers and sisters gathered this morning or elsewhere and have special ones that you would consider your beloved brother or sister in Christ? My friends, that is what the church is to be. If the Apostle Paul needs his beloved ones, so do we. So why is he a beloved brother in Christ? Because he is a faithful minister of the gospel. He knows what is important. He engages himself in seeing the gospel take root in people's lives and prosper. Similarly, he is also called a fellow servant in the Lord. That technically is true of all of us. We're all servants of the Lord. But I think it's clear here that, that he has showed himself to be particularly in tune to what the Lord was doing. And he was obedient and focused on that. My brothers and sisters, surround yourselves with people like this. The ones who will lift you up, who will bring you higher, who will help you. They will also help you not to be distracted or taken down through temptation. The same is true, the same is said of Onesimus. He is called the faithful and beloved brother. I'm here to tell you, as Sandy read earlier, there is nothing sweeter than Christians who are walking together in unity, who know what to focus on as we make disciples who, might, who make disciples. What brought them together was not similar hobbies or interests. But it was the gospel. And that's what they gave their very lives for. Articus. Verse 10. Slip down to verse 10. Articus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him and Jesus, who is also called justice. These are the only men in the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a great comfort to me. Mark and justice were the only members of the Jewish Christians who were working tightly with Paul, who was really commissioned for the Gentiles. But notice what it says. They comforted him greatly. 
However, I simply want to highlight one phrase. It's so easy to read it and to keep on reading. My fellow prisoner. Few words are more pregnant with meaning than these. We know that Paul suffered for the gospel, but we also know that he didn't always suffer alone. Imagine for a moment, the gospel is spreading. It's growing. It's reaching into the Gentile world. Churches are being established. Missionaries are being sent out. Christians are being discipled to walk and to live like Christ. But it's not an easy process. Christians are also suffering greatly for it. There's much hatred, much opposition. Paul is the chief spokesman for the gospel as it spreads to the Gentiles. And he has the marks of Christ on his body to show for it. But saints, he did not do this alone. He had people around him who loved him, who loved the Lord, who supported him and looked out for his needs. Oh, how I thank God for the people who have supported me and helped me over the years. I could never do what I do alone. But his particular assignment fascinates me. He is my fellow prisoner. Imagine Paul later on recounting his life. Oh yes, when I was in Ephesus, these guys helped me. When I was in Philippi, this group of people, they helped me. And when I was in prison, that was Articus. He was my prison mate. His very presence supported me. I'm sure they prayed together while in shackles. I'm sure they also sang hymns together as Paul did in the Philippian jail. Can you imagine how Articus ministered to Paul in this setting? Can you imagine how lonely it is? I mean, here you are, you're trying to forward the gospel, this new beautiful thing, and you're in jail. Can you imagine in that setting, maybe they were shackled together, how they fulfill the one another's together? You see, Articus, he stepped right into Paul's suffering with him. He maybe didn't have a choice. But that's the one another's. Let's look at verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans. And see also that you read the letter from Laodicea. This is Luke of Luke's gospel. He was a physician, the beloved physician. I'd like to highlight Nympha. Maybe you've never heard of her. 
But do you see how she hosted a church in her house? Imagine the hospitality that was involved in doing that. She opened her home. She brought people in so they could gather to worship, to pray together. Hospitality is such a big part of discipleship. As you probably know, they did not have dedicated church buildings at the time. They met in people's houses. They met in public buildings. It was a big ministry to host a church. This new church was growing under persecution. And people were willing to host others for a church service in their home. Please note one detail in this section. It is true that the New Testament was not formally or officially recognized the canon until a few hundred years after Christ. But note as we see here that the letters of the apostles were circulated widely amongst the churches. The Christians were well familiar with them. By the time the church in the 300s was finally able to catch its breath and not be chased every single day, they sat down and they finalized the New Testament. But it was based on what they already knew to be true. Now I have one more person I'd like to talk with you about. Let's read verses 17 and 18. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. His final words, of course, were grace be with you. Paul would often have someone assist in writing his letters. That was common. The personal greetings here were written by his own hand. But if I have one parting shot as the summer months come in, it would be this. Remember Archippus. Remember him. Remember what was said about him, to him. It's an extraordinary statement. As I was preparing this week for this message, the Lord just popped this statement off the pages. He does that sometimes. I believe it has great application for many of us, if not all of us. And I suspect the Holy Spirit will lean in on many of us and quicken this to our thoughts and our hearts. Fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Is there something that the Lord has put on your heart but you've been kind of pushing it away, delaying it. I'll get to that later. I know I've experienced that in my life where I, I know that the Lord is, is nudging me, is prompting me, pushing me to act on something. And we just, we, we're busy, we, we kind of ignore it. Or we come up with a list of excuses to avoid it. Is God convicting you of sin that you need to deal with? Don't put it off. 
Have you felt that gentle nudge that can only come from the Lord to step out in faith and maybe serve in a new and a unique way? Maybe to to stretch yourself a little bit? To step a little bit out of your comfort zone? Don't ignore his voice. Keep praying on it. And take action on it. Fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Perhaps you're involved in a ministry of some sort, personally or within the church, however. And you feel discouraged or weary. Oh, you know the Lord brought this before you. But oh, you're ready to walk away from it. Perhaps that's what he had going on. That's why Paul had to throw in a personal note for the whole world to see. Don't throw in the towel. Perhaps it's not even something specific. That's okay. But I do ask you this in light of this statement. Let it linger a bit. Think about it. As you take inventory of your life, you may realize that you need to do better in certain areas. That maybe you've been a little slack. And I'm not coming at at you with a judgmental attitude, but let the word of God search your heart and your mind. Perhaps you need to invite others to help you, not do it alone. Maybe you need to restructure your priorities. The list could be endless, to be honest. But I just ask you, take that one phrase. Fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And just ask if he has something there for you. My fellow saints, I have endeavored through this letter to show you the beauty and the splendor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is worthy of all of our praise. He is worthy of all of our worship. He is worthy of all of our best, the very best service. He is beautiful beyond description. He is holy and righteous. And he is coming to judge the living and the dead. Don't be slack in your service to him. Don't be weak on, on sin in your life. Encourage those around you to keep, to keep walking with him. To my fellow introverts, I know it can be difficult at times, but do immerse yourself in safe and supportive Christian relationships. That's where we grow. I pray the message of Colossians has edified you in your most holy faith. And given you much to ponder. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word today. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Let's take a moment in quiet reflection.
We have traversed through so much in this wonderful letter. There is so much truth, so much to learn, so much to be applied in our own lives. I pray that the Lord would edify you and build you up through all of it. We've said that Christ is preeminent in all things. That means he comes first. He's the best, the strongest, the most beautiful, everything. There's none like him. He is not one among many. He is not just another trophy to put on your shelf amongst many other things. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of all. The first and most important and ultimate question for anyone is what will you do with Christ? He is Lord and Savior. Have you taken him as your own? If you have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. When you become fully aware and convinced and convicted of your own sin and the fact that you could never repay that debt to God. You could never get rid of your own sin. But praise God, the story does not end there. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That is the simplicity and the power of the gospel, the good news. When we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and put our faith, our confidence in him and in him alone, as Jesus said, we pass from death to life. If you have never done that, you can do so right where you are, in the quietness of your own heart. Trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we give you praise for all that you have done in and through us. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, the captain of our salvation. May we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. May we walk as children of light. May we encourage one another, pray for one another, support one another, serve one another. All of the ways that you call us to engage one another. Lord, we give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.